Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And folks, we're just a week away from the 2022 NFL Draft. I don't want to waste any time today. I want to take you into my final predictive mock draft for the Washington Commanders. I want to take you inside the war room. Martin Mayhew, Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, Scott Turner, Jack Del Rio, all the figureheads for Washington, the Burgundy and Gold, in just a week's time, we'll be sitting down preparing to make the from what we assume, the 11th overall selection. So I want to take you guys in a full immersive experience. We're going to go through seven rounds, six picks. As of right now, we're not going to do any trade-ups, any trade-backs. Those things are definitely possible on draft night, as we've seen in the past. However, we're going to make each of the six picks. I'm going to take you through my full process as where the board lies. I'm doing this mock on thedraftnetwork.com via our mock draft machine where you can go in and put your GM shoes on and kind of fill the shoes of Martin Mayhew and you can get some in-depth insight on some prospects that you you don't know, guys you want to know some more about, how they fit into Washington's defense. But this is going to be my final predictive mock. Everything I've heard, everything we've seen from pro days to the combine to top 30 visits to individual workouts. This is where I believe Washington should and could go with their six overall picks next week. Just a week's time, ladies and gentlemen. I know we're super pumped. It's just a week's time to kick off the NFL draft in Vegas. So with their first pick at number 11 overall, look at the board right now, kind of how it fell to me. And it was a little different consideration just because this you run each simulation and it spits out different prospects at different spots. And in this one, it spit out Jermaine Johnson, edge from Florida State, going to the Jets at 10. So that pick right away made me feel that I would be able to grab a guy that maybe I thought that wasn't going to be there at 11. And that's exactly what happened. And if I look at the board right now, the top available players, it's Kyle Hamilton, our ninth Ranked player on our board, Garrett Wilson, Derek Stingley, Drake London, Jameson Williams. Now, we knew for the known for the longest time that Washington may have their pick of the litter, if you will, at the wide receiver spot. Whether they want to go with Drake London or Chris Olave, Jameson Williams, they're going to have that ability to do so at 11. Or if somebody were to potentially try to trade up and grab a quarterback, they could maybe go back four or five spots and still get their guy. However... With Kyle Hamilton on the board here at 11th overall, I'm going to take the safety out of Notre Dame. You look what he would be able to do in Washington's defense, and they have a need for corner, and they have a need for someone to fill that Buffalo nickel role right away. And we know that they have expectations with Benjamin St. Just coming back, should be healthy this year, but they brought in William Jackson be that CB1. But that Landon Collins role at Buffalo Nickel is vacant right now. And Kyle Hamilton can have an impact at every single level of the defense. A defense that has major expectations heading into year three under Jack Del Rio. Chase Young will be healthy. Montez Sweat will be healthy. Jamin Davis is in year two working at the second level opposite 
of Cole Holcomb. But you add a talent like Kyle Hamilton, my far and away clear best player, best prospect, best athlete in this draft, adding a talent like that and arguably the most premier athlete that Washington has added at the back end of their defense since they took Sean Taylor nearly you know, over a decade ago is an immediate force on the back end that will be able to make plays at every single level and his instincts will be allowed to shine with how much he would be able to do and create at every single level in the Buffalo nickel role. Whether he wants to align the second level over tight ends or wide receivers or range back and offer some unique cover three looks or cover four looks or play single high safety or come and blitz the you know blitz the passer or blow up screen plays on the outside consistently what he did for that fighting Irish defense. There's really no limit to his skill set. If there's one player in this draft that you know I would put my money on becoming an all-pro, it's going to be Kyle Hamilton. He's an excellent fit here at 11th overall. Washington has a need there. It's not just going BPA here. So with the 11th overall pick and starting out this draft with an absolute home run scenario for Washington, this is a scenario where I don't think Washington should take longer than 30, 40 seconds to turn their you know their draft card in for Commissioner Roger Goodell to read it in Vegas. So I'm going to take Kyle Hamilton's safety down another day and with the 11th overall pick. All right, so now we move on to round two with the 47th overall pick. And to be completely honest with you here, I absolutely hate how the board fell to me here. Jalen Petrie came off the board to the Vikings at 46. There is, and the options are just very limited here. Christian Watson came off wide receiver from North Dakota State, was off the board at 43. Desmond Ritter went to the Seahawks at 40 as a potential. You know, that that second round range right now for Washington could be a spot where they were to take a quarterback. Ritter's my QB1, as I've talked about in prior pods, that I would love if he's at 47, and that's their guy for him to add there. However, here with the 47th overall pick, I am going to go with Tariq Woolen, corner out of UTSA. And for a guy like Tariq, and I'm sure some of you have become familiar with Tariq kind of through this combine process through the Senior Bowl and Pro Days, um, one of the most athletically gifted talents to come out in some time. Um, six foot four, four two speed, can jump out of the gym. He's a former wide receiver convert. Started out his career as a wide receiver on the opposite side of the football. So from that standpoint, he is still working as far as understanding the intricacies and fundamentals of the position. But getting some live eyes on him, and when I spoke with Michael Coe, who's the you know senior director of personnel down at the Senior Bowl on Tariq before I went down there, just had absolute glowing reviews. On, on Woolen's game. And again, getting live eyes on this guy against some of the premier pass-catching talent that the country had to offer. At times, he was the most dominant player at the Senior Bowl. And was he perfect? Absolutely not. I mean, there were times where he was facing Memphis wide receiver Calvin Austin, who's, you know, no more than, than 5'9", 175 pounds soaking wet. And he was able to shake and shift him around the field. And, you know, you're not expecting a guy when you draft him here in the second round to become in you know, and be Ronnie Lott or, or be Darrell Rivas um, or Deion Sanders, you know, from day one. You know, it's definitely a process. But in this defense and considering how Ron Rivera and his staff have addressed drafting athletes over the last few years, you can't get much more of a fundamental, fundamentally elite athletic profile than you will 
with Tariq Woolen and all of the tools that are dripping off of his six foot four frame, the ability to become a, a perennial pro bowler and a potential all pro player with his size, his speed, his strength is completely evident. And if you add somebody like that right away, and which would allow you to put him in at CB2, so you're not having him cover the Devontae Smiths or Kenny Galladay's or CD Lambs right away within the division. You have William Jackson for that reason. You're able to slide Kendall Fuller into the slot. You just added Kyle Hamilton, right, with their first overall pick in this draft process. So now you have Hamilton, and now you have Wolven on your back end. And this defense is starting to become one on paper that may challenge to be one of the top units in football. And then just a few years ago, they were. And then now you have these two ball hawks on the back end of your defense, and you're starting to, you know, you're really starting to cook with gas here. So in the second round with the board, it didn't fall to me as far as linebackers. Nakobe Dean was on the board, but I don't think Washington will add a middle linebacker in this draft. Again, I think they'll roll with Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis at the second level, and they want to play that Buffalo nickel at the second level as well of kind of that third linebacker slash hybrid safety. So I passed on Nakobe Dean. I think he's a heck of a player, but you need corners. And after adding Kyle Hamilton to fill that Buffalo nickel slash linebacker role, I'm going to add a pure corner and a guy that has all the tools in the world to become a shutdown guy on the outside in Tariq Woolen from UTSA. All right, so without a third-round pick after trading for Carson Wentz, Washington's back on the board here in the fourth round, and the board fell a little bit in my favor. I, I really like how we look here. And now some of you maybe are happy with my first two selections with Hamilton and Woolen, and you're maybe like, well, where's our linebacker? Or where's our wide receiver? Because we need wide receivers. Now, you know, let me get there. Um, this is a pick where I will be adding a wide receiver, and I kind of want to explain my process here at, at wideout. And sure, is the 11th overall pick a spot where I could see them going wide receiver? Of course. I think they've shown their high interest in Chris Olave and especially Drake London throughout the last few weeks. And Kyle Hamilton was also in the, you know, in the building for a visit when they started workouts just a few days ago. But in the second round, the best wide receiver available were, you know, David Bell, John Mechie. Those are the type of guys that were on the board. And I didn't like that fit within Washington's offense, considering they expect a lot out of Curtis Samuel this year and Deami Brown. So those are three guys with obviously including Terry McLaurin that you expect to have some success this year. And then you have Logan Thomas. So those are four pass catchers right there that make up a fine, I guess a little bit above average wide receivers room. And I, I feel like that's a spot where you can't reach for a guy just because it's a wide out, right? You only have six picks in this draft. My process here is you're trying to get guys with an immediate impact from day one with every single pick. And that's my process here with the wide receivers. Obviously, they can go one in the first round. They can go with one in the second round. Christian Watson was off the board in the second round. George Pickens was off the board in the second round. Those are my guys in that range if they maybe want to wait until 47. If they slip, who knows? But I want guys with immediate impact at every single position. So that's kind of my thought process there with the wide receivers. So here in round four, with the 113th overall selection, I'm going to take a wide receiver. And that's Alec Pierce, wide receiver from Cincinnati. Big six foot three kid, can jump out of the gym, is an aerial artist. Another guy that I got live eyes on down at the Senior Bowl. And him becoming Desmond Ritter's top target at Cincinnati this fall was really a joy to watch 
on film. Because at times teams were doubling him, teams were bracketing him. But his ability to go up and, and high point the football and then break off routes and create towards the middle of the field and work within a phone booth, that projectability towards the next level as a big six foot three wideout that I know Washington kind of has some interest in, you know, when they drafted Kelvin Harmon to be that, or look at Cam Sims over the last few years when he's gotten the opportunities. I just don't think the opportunities are going to be there because Cam Sims has been here for a while and the opportunities just haven't granted themselves and the coaching staff obviously does not feel confident with giving him, you know, 65, 75% of the offensive snaps behind McLaurin, Samuel, and Brown as that wide receiver four. So with Alec Pierce, 100% could see him coming in and challenging Deami Brown for snaps. Again, he's six foot three. He can run every route in the book. He's tough as nails, a guy with short hands. And granted, Terry McLaurin is, and Curtis Samuel makes up a heck of a wide receiver one and two. But Curtis Samuel's a guy that they want to use as a chess piece, right? They want to use him in the backfield. They want to use him on, on screens and get him the ball in designated touches, whether those you know, are on passes or on handoffs, kind of how the 49ers have used Debo Samuel just in that aspect, just get the ball in his hands, right, and allow him to work, allow him to use his vision, use his speed, and just find his way to open grass. Now you add a guy like Alec Pierce to where he has that big – thick frame, able to go up and and high point the football, whether you're just targeting him from the onset of his career in the red zone. And imagine, you know, you line up Logan Thomas flexed out and you got Alec Pierce beside him. And that's over 12 feet of man right there, right? So those options for Carson Wentz, just give him more weapons, give him some more sure hands on the perimeter, on the outside, take some eyes off of Terry McLaurin. And someone that's going to come in and, and be competitive and work his tail off from day one. So I'm going to go with Alec Pierce here in the fourth round at the 113th overall pick. All right, so we're moving and grooving now back, you know, into the tail end of the draft, round six. Washington is without a fifth round pick, but we are on the board here in the sixth round. And it is a draft where you can grab guys, whether you want depth, where you want immediate starters, on every single day and every single round. And I, I remember speaking with a few scouts last year where just because of the COVID year and guys getting extra year of eligibility, and I think Chris Olave from Ohio State is that perfect example to where he came out, you know, he comes out last year and he's a first rounder. Stays this year, has an excellent season, and is, you know, probably still a first round receiver. But the point is, is that the draft is so deep this year to where guys that were drafted last year on day three, you know, year round five, six, seven, those guys would have been UDFAs or preferred UDFAs in this year's draft. Now, of course, there's outstanding examples. You look at guys like Elijah Mitchell and his impact that he had as running back for the 49ers this year. But moving into round six this year, sometimes there's a stigma with day three guys is, you know, as, as draft fans, you you know plan your day around round one, right? You have your draft parties. You invite your friends over. Everyone's tuned in to watch those first three, two selections. But as you work towards round three, four, five, six, kind of tails off, right? And that Sunday is usually a day where you get your stuff done. You kind of have the draft on in the background. Or you get a notification on your phone where, oh, they drafted this player, right? You don't, you're not fully tuned in. Now, I know some of you out there, and this was me before I obviously got into the draft landscape, and you know, you're tuned in all seven rounds. Every team, every player, you're writing notes on guys, where they fit in. But for this standpoint, let's focus on Washington's mock. And in round six, with the 189th overall selection, a guy I've talked about a ton in this process, and that's interior defensive lineman Thomas 
Booker from Stanford. And again, this name is probably becoming repetitive with you guys out there, but is someone with Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle that are gone. You need some guys behind John Allen and Deron Payne that have some fresh legs and not just coming in and being a body or being a jersey, right? You need somebody to have some you know production and have some push within the interior, whether you're asking him to clog gaps in the run or wreak some havoc in the pocket. And Thomas Booker, watching him at Stanford, a super intelligent guy, uh, someone that I've gotten to know pretty well throughout this process and someone that I am just extremely high on as an individual. And then you turn his film on and you watch him and what he was able to do at the Shrine Bowl out in Vegas You know, during this offseason circuit. He was dominant. Powerful hands, quick lower half. He slid up and down the defensive line for the Cardinal during his career there. A lot of people have tried to compare him to you know the impact that Solomon Thomas had when he was at Stanford. But you know Tom Booker coming out isn't that level. Um, we've seen kind of the hype surrounding Solomon Thomas kind of die down the few years that he's been in the league now. But for Booker coming in as a depth guy, that's his immediate you know road to snaps and high amount of snaps. Um, just considering also with the fact in the last couple of years, Washington has thrown around Deron Payne in trade talks, trying to get Stafford, trying to get Russell Wilson this year. Deron Payne was included in those trade packages. So whether they want to bring him in for you know a second contract remains to be seen. But if they want somebody like Thomas Booker to come in here and sit next to John Allen for the next you know two, three years potentially and have an impact and not just say, okay, he's a round six guy. Let's see what he can do. Let's put him in a jersey and put him up against some of our interior, you know, our veteran interior offensive linemen. This is a guy that's going to be able to push the pocket a little bit. And and he's a massive sleeper on my board here in round six and someone that I think has a, a very, very high potential of developing into it, not just an above average starter, but someone with the skill set to immediately have an impact in the run in the pass game. And, you know, a voice that will be able, you know, players will be able to rally around in the locker room in such a young highly intense, physical, aggressive, athletic Washington defense. So give me Thomas Booker here with the 189th overall selection in the sixth round. Now we're into the seventh round. Washington has two picks in this round. I will not be shocked if they threw another team, a seventh rounder, potentially trade up with maybe their fourth round pick if they see somebody that they really like. So they may enter this round come next weekend with just one seventh rounder. But... I'm going to take Cade Mays here, interior offensive lineman from Tennessee. Just a country-strong, run-through-your-face, physical interior offensive lineman. And when you look at the linemen that Washington has right now on their roster on the interior at guard, and obviously Brandon Sheriff is gone, but you look at Andrew Norwell, and you look at Wes Schweitzer, two guys that just want to take your lunch money and put you up against the wall and let you know about it. And I think from an offensive line standpoint, that's exactly what you want. I think you look around the league and, and guys you know, want these supremely athletic, gifted individuals with the ability to move their hips and slide and seal and get out in space. Kind of what you look at Trent Williams and that's what everybody hopes for, obviously, in an offensive lineman, both physical to move guys in the run, but then having the athletic ability to get out and do the same things in space and reach on corners and different things like that. Now, by no means is that Cade Mays. He's going to be within the interior. But Washington needs some developmental prospects within the you know the lungs of their offensive line. Chase Roulier had some health issues last year 
Wes Schweitzer also did. Andrew Norwell has been relatively healthy throughout his career. However, you need depth. And if someone were to go out, who else do you have? I think Sadiq Charles is going to be a nice kind of swing guard spot, be able to play left guard, right guard for you. But what if he, you know, doesn't work out or doesn't progress and he hasn't progressed since he's come in the building. So getting a guy like Cade Mays here, and it's kind of a senior bowl affair, right? Cade Mays was down in Mobile as well, but someone that is just uber physical, can displace guys in the run game, has excellent heavy feet in the best way possible. Usually when I say heavy feet, that's not a good thing. I talk about Sadiq Charles and his heavy feet, and that's the worst way possible, right? Everything starts with footwork, but Cade Mays' ability to anchor in the you know anchor in the pass game and just get his hands out and win first and win under you know the breastplate of defensive linemen consistently with his hands was extremely impressive on film and I'm been really really excited with him coming in to Washington. So in the seventh round here, you're not going to find much better value. I think of my prior pod. I gave Washington Ben Brown, interior offensive lineman from Ole Miss. Watching a little bit more of Cade Mays here, him sitting on the board. I love this value here. I love the impact that he could have. He's a nasty mover. And how that fits within Ron Rivera's style, that's somebody who wants to get after a defensive lineman. And we look around this NFC East, and there's a bunch of D lines that, that have some pop, whether he's going to be facing a you know, a Fletcher Cox in Philadelphia or Milton Williams or Javon Hargrave, and then the next week, you go to New York and you're facing Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, and then you go down to Dallas, right? And you got guys like Neville Gallimore. They want to slide Micah Parsons to the inside and do some different things there. So the defensive lines and the front sevens in the NFC East are nothing to slouch at. But a guy like Cade Mays, who has SEC experience coming out of Tennessee, um, I love the fit here. I love the value. So give me a country strong boy, the meat and potatoes right up front um, here in the seventh round. So on to the Burgundy and Gold's final selection at 239th overall. So we're really diving deep here into the back end. This is a spot where usually teams go BPA. And what I mean by BPA is best player available. Who's on your board, doesn't matter the position, doesn't matter your positions of need. It's whoever's highest on your board right now. Who's your athlete, right? And this is actually a spot that Washington needs some talent and needs some pop. And I would not be surprised if they go here earlier in the draft. Now, granted, this is a spot where I you could technically classify Kyle Hamilton as, as a safety, but someone that I expect to come into D.C. if here is the pick at 11 to do it all. Doesn't matter if it's safety, corner, linebacker, rushing the passer. I expect him to do it all. So as a if you will, static safety with the 239th overall pick. I'm going to take a guy that will immediately become a fan favorite. And I will talk about a little more here. Leon O'Neill safety out of Texas A&M. And first off, Leon is a complete firecracker as a human being. Someone that all of you out there that remember DJ Swearinger, kind of how he approached the game letting you know where he is at all times. He's a talker, but he backs it up. And not only would he be able to provide some depth behind Cam Curl and Bobby McCain and working kind of in, in contest with Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves, but someone that's also going to have an impact on special teams and someone that, you know, is a guy that locker rooms rally around. And you can't have enough guys 
like Leon O'Neill on your roster. Um, had some initial troubles at Texas A&M with his mouth. Got him into trouble a little bit sometimes. But as you guys will soon find out, if he is the pick here at 239, is someone that just gets you fired up and wants to have you run through a wall for him every single game, every single week. Um, so here's just a ton of value. A guy, again, that is a locker room ad, a physical presence on the back end. It's going to let you know where he is at all times. You're going to be able, you know, your pads are going to get popped when he's coming downhill. And here in the seventh round, you won't be able, again, like Cade Mays, I'm looking for value. I'm looking for guys that could potentially have an impact, not just, you know, moving into their rookie season, but in years following, whether it's just as a special teams guy. But, you know, those guys matter. And we saw, you know, the impact that Jeremy Reeves had the last couple of years and then working into a role on defense, similar to like what Jim Danny Johnson had. And he's earned himself another contract, another season in the Burgundy and Gold. So give me Leon O'Neill here, safety and a guy, one of the most charismatic guys in this entire draft class here at the back end of the seventh round and the last pick to wrap up Washington's draft class. So that is going to do it. And just a quick recap, Kyle Hamilton in the first round, then took Tariq Woolen, corner out of UTSA. From there, went on to grab Alec Pierce, wide receiver from Cincinnati. Interior defensive defensive lineman Thomas Booker from Stanford, then added some depth on the other side of the ball. Interior offensive lineman Cade Mays from Tennessee. And to wrap it up, in the back end of the seventh round, safety Leon O'Neal from Texas A&M. So you look at this draft, it's guys that impact each and every position on each and every day. Guys that, you know, granted the board could completely sway and you you could very well grab Jameson Williams at 11 and then grab potentially a Kyler Gordon, potentially, right? Or a Roger McCreary at 47. You go into the third round and maybe you're looking for a linebacker like a Jojo Doman or Troy Anderson, and then you still grab your Booker, and then you go into the back end. And if you want to grab another edge rusher, in on day three, and you're looking at maybe a, a DPR like Jeffrey Gunter, an edge guy out of Coastal Carolina, or you're you know you want some interior offensive line depth, you can go with Ben Brown. You could grab a guy like James MB from BYU. You could grab somebody like Brock Hoffman, a local talent out of Virginia Tech. So there's a lot of different avenues that Washington could go, as with every other team in this draft. It's a deep draft. It's a highly talented draft. It's not just saying, oh, you know, we're going to get depth guys at every round. This is a draft where the last couple of years, you're going to have pop at every position on every single day. And if they're, you know, going to certain facilities, obviously guys going to more ideal situations than others so to say you know you look at mac jones last year with new england mac jones goes anywhere else but new england last year does he have the success that he has probably not you put justin Fields in that offense does he have more success than mac jones potentially right so those those are the kind of things that you have to weigh but all in all want to thank you guys as always for tuning in this again is the last pod that i will have until i get back from vegas make sure you are following me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. I will be having updates, everything that I'm hearing from inside the building in Ashburn prior to draft day on round one. 
throughout the weekend. I'll be active on social media with things I'm hearing outside of the building, inside the building, and players they're targeting. I'll have UDFA signings, talking to a lot of these players from around the college circuit where they'll be signing. So make sure you're following me there. As always, guys, thank you for tuning in. You can find this pod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find us there. All of my work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. Check out our mock draft machine, which I used my mock today. On our website, we're supposed to have a full brand new site debuting before night one kicks off in Vegas next week. You guys should be super excited for that. It is a state-of-the-art website, super, super clean, kind of an entire facelift for the website. So again, appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy these, you know, this next week before you know the calm before the storm. If you will, it's been a joy speaking with you guys on these prospects over the last couple of weeks. But it's time to talk ball now and how these players fit into the Washington roster and really kind of add some, you know, some background and some scheme fit and how they fit into the Brigandine gold. And who knows where Washington will ultimately go at 11 if they trade up, if they trade down, who they're going to take. But one thing's for sure is that we know it's always a joy for the NFL draft. It's the best time of year. Building a roster is one of the most fun things to do. So, again, enjoy the draft, guys. Have an outstanding weekend. And I will see you guys after next week. So the draft will be over. I will talk to you guys on that following Monday. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a great weekend. This is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.